Since the beginning of civilization, fermentation has mystified humans. Ancient legends say we were taught by sacred beings to make fermented beverages containing some magical substance that awakens dormant capacities within us. And over time, people found ways to harness the fermentation process to preserve food, increase flavor, and culture health benefits. A fermented food is one whose taste and texture have been transformed by the introduction of beneficial bacteria or fungi. A cursory look at the process reveals connections with our personal experiences of transformation. Fermenting implies agitation, excitement, or tumult. It is the process by which old ideas, habits, and patterns are overturned and new insight is introduced to strengthen us and ensure our flourishing. Jesus apparently thought fermentation was a helpful metaphor in explaining the life he was offering. He uses the metaphor over and over again in his teaching. He talks about the insidiousness of yeast, both as a good and a bad thing. Once yeast is introduced, there is no separating it. It becomes enmeshed in the entire batch of dough. Wine, too, ferments. And when a new batch is brewed, it cannot be contained in an old wineskin. The process of transformation grows and stretches beyond what was previously enough. It must be new. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus uses the imagery of salt that serves not only to preserve, but to transform food with flavor and healing properties. In each of these cases, we see that being transformed into the likeness of Christ means a death or a letting go of old in order to become something new, a new creation. A couple of summers ago, I tried pickling for the first time. I spent several hours with my family in the kitchen, a perfect way to spend a hot July afternoon, chopping, seasoning, labeling, and laughing at our novice attempt at the fermentation process. Before that, I would not have imagined myself there. My only prior experience with pickling is a memory of jar after jar of homemade pickled cucumbers in my grandmother's cupboard and the smell permeating her house. As a kid, I detested pickles. I remember being terribly disappointed when I learned that cucumbers were used to make pickles. Up until then, I had loved cucumbers. After that, I could only see pickles as cucumbers gone bad. But as with many things, age has helped me broaden my taste. And I'm much more adventurous. And it isn't uncommon for a pickle to find its way onto my hamburger. But that day, I was surrounded by brine, curious about every step of the process and eagerly anticipating the fruits of my labor several weeks from then. And it wasn't just the physical fruits I was interested in. I, I got fermentation fever. <laughs> There's something powerfully resonating between what happens to that cucumber and what we perceive is happening inside our brains and hearts when we're inspired, when we learn and grow. No wonder Jesus used it so frequently. It's helping me to deepen my understanding of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount and what it is we're called to. 
Many of us find it challenging to balance the ethical requirements for righteousness and perfection Jesus prescribes with a deep longing to experience the grace of unmerited forgiveness and love he promises. How can we avoid the pharisaical trap of perfectionistic thinking, making us lose sight of the intention of the law, while at the same time ensuring that we aren't going off the tracks and just indulging our personal desires without serious integration of Jesus' teaching? I think in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus describes a process of complete transformation akin to fermentation. He says that we are like a city on a hill, salt that doesn't lose its saltiness, a lamp on a lampstand. Not that his followers should be like those things, but that they are. They don't have a choice. It isn't an option. Think back to the pickles. What is the cucumber doing to participate in the fermentation process? What is the grape juice doing to become wine? What muscles is the lamp exerting to shine its light? What thought process is the salt engaged in to be salty? Nothing. These are just being what they are. The fermenting vegetable is simply submitting to a process that is carried on in the brine in which it's soaking. The bacteria and yeast from the skin of the vegetable or fruit and whatever's floating in the air interact too. The organic, slow food movement, farm to table, veganism, raw food diet, and even the resurgence of farmers markets show quite clearly that there is what could be considered a mainstream desire to return to a closer experience with real food. The fermentation craze has much to do with a psychological desire to get back to basics and have an immediate connection with what we ingest as much as it does with health benefits. There's a deeply held belief that a closer connection to a thing in its natural or pure state has more benefits than one that's been processed through many hands and machines. I wonder if this resurgence at this time has any correlation to the deep spiritual curiosity and thirst in our culture. Everywhere we look and listen in music and movies and TV, even the news, we hear stories of dissatisfied, disillusioned people. People who want to believe in something bigger, who've been disappointed by their experience of life. And it makes me wonder about Jesus' description of his followers. You are like a city on a hill. Meaning the light shone, radiated from within because of who they were. Because of what turned them on. Not because of packaging or activity or even really trying but because they had been so transformed by Christ that they were no longer cucumbers at all. They were entirely pickle. I find hope in what often feels like a battle to provide a countercultural view of the world, in the realization that Jesus says, I don't need to fight. I just need to see it, to be it to be transformed by him, and in that transformation, he'll work through me. Jesus does not just give a bunch of nice philosophical constructs. 
He doesn't give a bunch of ways to think about or look at the world that will allow us to float above it and merely survive it while we wait for heaven or the end times. He expects us to enter into a process of transformation. He expects us to act or more accurately submit ourselves to allow God's will to transform our own. Soaking as opposed to fixing. It's easy in church and in ministry to get into a pattern of trying to fix and solve and earn. Our obsession with church growth and strategies surrounding how we do worship and greet visitors and engage the world, and I understand why these things are there, but they aren't really working all that well. We're not the primary influence on our culture. We aren't even close. What if we turned our focus to being steeped and transformed by God's will? What if we spent hours and energy imagining what the world would be like when God's kingdom is fulfilled? What if we weren't confused and unsure, fighting to get it right, and instead believed Jesus as much as we believe in him? Jesus assures us at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount that if we build our foundation on his words, if we believe not only in him, but believe him, if we seek his kingdom and believe that he will fulfill his promise, that the world is and will be finally recreated, reconciled, and transformed. Jesus brings us good news. Jesus is the fermenting agent in us. His resurrection breaks in to transform who we are and how we are to live in the present as well as in eternity. Our lives then begin to manifest the signs of the future kingdom. Our certainty of faith does not rest in our acts or experiences, but in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, of the power of the Holy Spirit in the love of God. Let us be transformed by the renewing of our minds, by the fermenting of our wills, by the rhythm of our heart, lovingly, consciously, and unconsciously, focused on the treasure of the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm.